right. Well, again, I'm uh, really glad that you're here this morning, especially if you are new with us. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, this week, we're beginning a four-week series. As I talked about before, this season is the season of Advent, which are the four weeks that take us right up to Christmas Eve. But before we get rolling into the message, I just want to encourage all of you that are part of the Hope community, the Hope family, to be thinking and praying about who you can invite to come with you to worship with us here at Hope sometime this month. Uh, Studies have shown that people are very open to checking out a church, uh, especially during Christmas and Easter. In fact, one study from LifeWay Research showed that 67% of unchurched people would say yes if someone would just invite them to church. I mean, that's two out of three that would say yes if someone would just invite them. So I think a lot of times we get nervous because we're like, well, I don't want people to say no or you know, reject me or however. But hey, seriously, two out of three is, is pretty amazing. And, and think of this, what if the person that you invite, or let's say you invite multiple, what if any of them, uh, through being here gathered with us for Christmas, what if that was their first step towards having a relationship with God? What if that began their journey to following Jesus. Uh, Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be something? So I want you to be thinking about who you're going to invite to join you on a Sunday morning or on Christmas Eve here at Hope this month. Um, Think through, you know, friends. Uh, Think through relatives maybe that you have. Uh, Think through some of the acquaintances in your life. uh, maybe think through some of the neighbors that you have that you know don't attend a church or are not a part of a church anywhere. Uh, maybe a coworker, or for those of you in school, maybe a classmate. Uh, just ask God to put on your heart who you could simply invite to join us and to worship with us uh, this month and hear about the love and the grace of Jesus who gave himself for us. Um, well, let's pray as we get going. Um, Jesus, you are so good to us. Thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you for the gift that you are. Thank you for the gift of your love and grace, your healing, your mercy. Thank you for this group of people here, this community who are learning more and more to follow you, to believe what you say about us, that it's really true that we are deeply loved that you've given us a new identity. Um, I pray this morning as we delve into this series, um, your words would be what stick in our hearts, not anything that I say um, necessarily, but but whatever it is that you want to stick this morning, I pray that in your name it would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, um, we are in the season of Advent, and the Advent word, this word simply means the arrival. It's the arrival. Advent is the arrival, and the arrival that we are waiting for, because if you're waiting, if there's something that's going to arrive, we're waiting for it, right? Uh, And obviously, what we're waiting for is the coming of Jesus at Christmas, where we remember the birth of Jesus, uh, how he came to earth, and, and, and that's really the basic central meaning of the Christmas season. But let's just be real. Too often, I think the meaning of Christmas really gets lost with all this other stuff that we get distracted by in the season, right? There's, there's shopping, there's 
busyness, there's pressure, there's debt, there's all the consumption that we are constantly uh, in the middle of. And pretty soon, I think it's easy for us to lose our focus on Jesus, who is the reason for uh, celebrating the season in the first place. And this isn't like our whole world is terrible and they're all missing Jesus. They've taken the Christ out of Christmas. I'm not so worried about that. Um, Because my problem is not them and they're taking the Christ out of Christmas. My problem tends to be me. Um, Too often, like I get caught up. I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to know better, I guess. but, But I honestly get caught up in the insane pace of the Christmas season. And to be honest, sometimes I barely have time to stop and think about why I'm celebrating Christmas in the first place. I mean, I get caught up in overcommitted schedules and long to-do lists and debt and pressure, plus with blended families that Heidi and I have and kids that need to spend time with their other parents, the whole thing turns into a zoo. I do remember one year, um, I was the last one out of the church building after the Christmas Eve service was done. I was the last one. I'm flipping off the last lights. I'm uh, not flipping them off. I'm turning them off. Sorry. Um, I could try the other. I don't think it'd work, but you know, I wasn't that angry. No, um, I was turning off all the lights and I just remember seeing the manger scene. Everybody was gone and I just stopped and I thought, oh, I am so exhausted. I don't think that Christmas is supposed to leave me this empty and depleted. And I realized that something was missing, that I was missing something. And clearly I needed to change my approach in how I came into Christmas or into Advent. And that's why I am praying for us as a church and myself uh, this Advent. Because uh, as the Advent Conspiracy blog says, Advent is the story of a wondrous moment when God entered our world and made things right. It's the greatest story ever told, and it changes everything, including the way that we celebrate Christmas. Uh, Just that statement alone is enough to blow our mind and, and, and push us toward the wonder of the season See, friends, we don't have to let this season become a time that just exhausts us and drains us. Maybe there are some new patterns that we can adopt or look into. Maybe, maybe if we did something a little differently in how we approach Christmas, maybe we could enter in and experience it in a more meaningful way connected to the heart of God. So the invitation for our church, this Advent, our church family here, is, is what we want to do is choose to make Christmas what God intended it to be for us. This, this celebration of Jesus' birth, that we would come out of it with a heart that's enriched and that the world around us would be better as well. Um, instead of just Christmas being this retail circus that depletes our pocketbooks and defeats our spirits, which, by the way, is why... The series is called, and the the group that we're working with is called the Advent Conspiracy. That's the conspiracy part, because we are going against the culture. We want to reframe Christmas back to the original intent, the original heart. Now, Advent Conspiracy, this series here, we're going to encourage us. It's going to encourage us to substitute consumption with compassion by practicing four simple but powerful, really countercultural concepts And the four big ideas that we're going to look at week by week are 
worship fully. That's going to be this week that we fully worship. And we remember that Christmas begins and ends with Jesus. That's what we're looking at today. Um, But then next week, we're going to look at this big idea, spend less. Spend less. We're going to ask God to show us ways, and we have some ideas on how to free up our resources to to, um, support things that truly matter, things that really matter, spending less. Um, And then the next week's going to be give more. And what we want to do in that is to give more, but not more financially necessarily. We want to give more intentionally, on purpose. We want to give more relationally. That's where we want to give more. And then we'll wrap up um, a couple days before Christmas Eve with looking at the big idea of loving all. Loving all, that we will radically love others just like Jesus did. And we've got some resources to help you to do this whole thing. In fact, we didn't want to wait until we got to you know, week two or three where some of us have our Christmas. Who has their Christmas shopping done already? Oh, I can't stand you. I mean, I'm so jealous. I'm so... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm jealous. Um, but there's a few things. Um, here, here's an easy one. This is for families. You can pick this up. This is our Advent calendar. And typically, you know, you peel off the thing and you go day by day. But the fun thing with this Advent calendar that if you have kids, you can pick this up at the kids' table in the uh, lobby, um, is you pick each day what you want to check off. Or your kid could pick what they want to check off to work our way toward Christmas, Christmas Eve, and so that's at the kids' check-in station, our Advent calendar. Um, We also have an insert in your bulletin with just a simple scripture reading for each day, so you can use that and go through and read these scriptures that will connect our hearts to the Christmas story. On the back of that is a weekly devotional, which talks a little bit about you know the messages and where we've been going, so you can use that resource as well. We're going to put a link on our Hope Facebook page that give you daily devotionals through the Advent Conspiracy website. Uh, Also, um, if you're in a small group, if you want to go deeper with this, your small group could decide, hey, we want to use these resources. And on the Advent Conspiracy, if you just Google Advent Conspiracy, you'll find it. Uh, On their website, they have free resources for small groups in terms of videos you can watch together and then questions to unpack. So that'll be real simple, another way you can go deeper. Um, And then also, I think this is one of the most important and, and helpful things. It may look overwhelming, but all we're doing when we talk about relational giving, right? We're gonna give more, we're gonna give in relational ways. We wanted to give you some very practical ideas and you're not gonna do them all, but you will find if you look at this, a few ideas you go, oh, you know what, I could do that. Or hey, that resonates with my life and my story. I do wanna give that way. And so that will be a simple resource you can use. Those are on the two black tables as you exit. These are, there are stacks of these uh, and it says relational gift Ideas, because we want to make this very, very practical. And the reason, again, that we're doing all of this kind of focus is to help us to fix our eyes on Jesus at Christmas, where we really want to be anyway. It's where our hearts long to be connected to Jesus. And and by doing that, by fixing our eyes on Jesus and taking our eyes off the other stuff, I believe that it can bring us some freedom from some of the stress that we so easily get sucked into in our culture. So here we go. We're going to jump in and look at our invitation, the first big idea of the series and what we're going to look at the rest of our time today. Worship fully. Worship fully. And um, now what's interesting when I think about worshiping God just wholeheartedly and fully, it's kind of a bummer because I think that 
This time of the year where we could actually have this opportunity to, to focus on Christ, and maybe you go, well, wouldn't it need to normally kind of be the easiest, right? Like, this would be the time of year where we go, oh, hey, this is where, you know, I really could get focused on Jesus, but the truth is, instead of being the hardest or the easiest time to focus on Jesus, I think sometimes it tends to be the hardest to focus on Jesus because our calendars fill up with activities, our to-do lists get longer, the stores get busier, and this overwhelming stress creeps into our society, and from our society, it tends to creep into our hearts. So then how do we get back to the heart of the Christmas story? And I think, for starters, uh, we worship. And there's a reason that full, uh, worship fully is the first big idea of the Advent conspiracy. See, we believe that when our hearts are oriented toward Jesus, then the rest of our actions just kind of naturally fall into place, right? When my heart is oriented toward Jesus, then the way I spend, the way I give, and the way I love radically changes because it's coming out of a heart of worship. And each year, we have Christmas, right? <laughs> it's no surprise, here it comes. But the good news about it is that every year, it's an opportunity to worship God. And to stop, you know, it's so easy to forget how amazing it was that God became a person. Like God came to our planet, was born as a human baby to a teenage mother who lived in abject poverty. It's amazing. That's how God came. And when we read the stories in scripture, those people that encountered Jesus and around the birth of Jesus they had this response, almost every one of them, their response was to worship, right? They encountered Jesus, and they worshiped this baby. They were blown away by the good news of Jesus coming to earth, and it resulted in hearts of worship. Listen for a, a moment to just a few of these examples, and if you read through the readings on that sheet, you'll come across more of them. But, but the first one I want to point out, an instance of a character in Jesus' story, the birth of Jesus, um, who worships, would be his mother Mary. Now, when she finds out, this teenage girl, that she is miraculously pregnant, she responds in worship to God. And part of the song that she sings in praise to God is found in Luke chapter 1, um, it's called the Magnificat, and let me read just a few verses of that. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For mighty, the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all those who fear him, to those who, as we know, that means trust him. Verse 51, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scattered the proud and haughty ones, but he's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. Mary goes on from here, but her response when she learns that she is pregnant, um, this is before Jesus is even born, she erupts in worship toward God. And then after Jesus is born, we see an instance of worship there as well with, with 
at the birth of Jesus, there's the shepherds, right? You know the story, maybe you would know the story um, where you've heard about the shepherds. They're out in the field. They're keeping their watch over their flocks at night. And suddenly a bunch of angels show up and scare the tar out of them. And they are freaked out. But Jesus' birth was announced to these lowly shepherds that nobody cared about. Um, And Luke 2 tells us that they also went to see the baby Jesus right there. And when they saw him, what they did was they also, they worshiped. Verse 15 says, when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. They found the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel told them about this baby, this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary, she kept all these things in her heart. She thought about them often. Verse 20 says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, listen to this, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So they worshiped as well, right? They glorified, they praised God. So there's Mary, there's the the shepherds. Um, Okay, think a little farther in this, in in the story of Jesus' birth. Who else worshiped? Oh yeah, there's the little drummer boy. Um, He he worshiped, right? Pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. Yeah, no, just, just kidding, right? He was not there. Listen, I'm a drummer. It's a cute song, but it ain't in the story. I'm sorry. I mean, but if it was, if it was, uh, you know, I think he would have worshiped Jesus with one amazing drum solo and Mary would have gotten totally ticked, right? <laughs> like, you don't play drums around a baby. Now, are you guys not laughing because you thought that the little drummer boy was actually at the manger? Is this... Is that what's going on? So I hate to be the spoiler alert. And there are some kids in here, so I won't tell you about Santa if that was a spoiler alert. So, um, all right, there was no drummer boy. So, so let's look at some other characters that worshiped. Um, how about the Magi, the wise men? See, Mary, um, there were the shepherds we looked at. If you look at the story a little more, there's a couple of different people at the temple who worship. Um, you see those stories in Matthew and Luke. But then a couple years later, who shows up? A couple years later, who shows up? The Magi, the wise men, right? Okay, let me, again, spoiler alert here. The Magi, the wise men were not at the manger, okay? That, no, this is for real. This is not a joke, okay? Um, in fact, you'll see, we, we here set up our manger scene. There's, it's back there, but the wise men uh, and their camels are across the room because, you know, they're on their way, okay? They're on their way. Um, I know it looks cool in the nativity set, but... If you want to put the wise men in the nativity set, even though they came, you know, in a year and a half or a two years later, um, then if you're going to put them there, you might as well add the little drummer boy as well, right? So throw those guys into your manger scene. You might as well throw the abominable snowman. I mean, come on. It's... If I see that at some of your house, I will laugh. But um... all right, sorry. But so a couple years later, right? The wise guys, they show up. After the birth of Jesus, and they also worship, look at verse 1, after Jesus was born, this is Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Jump ahead to verse 9, after they had heard the king, Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen. When it rose, 
and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped Jesus. See, so many of these characters, they hear of the birth of Jesus and they respond in worship. They respond in worship, which is something that we, too, are invited to do, right? When we absorb and realize the amazingness of the gift of Jesus, this this wonder of God becoming a human, taking on the body of a human being, God coming to be with us, to become one of us, and he did it to show his absolute love for us. He did it to rescue us. When we really see that, then we want to fully worship God, right? When we remember our need for a savior, when we let it hit home in our hearts, just how amazing it is that God would come as a helpless baby. He would take that risk when we remember that that's how much he loves us, it makes us want to worship. Our hearts get filled up with affection for God. We worship. And when we worship, um, however it is that we worship, there's a sense of excitement that happens. There's an anticipation when we worship. There's There's a hope that rises up. All of these emotions can rise up when we let ourselves absorb the reality and the beauty of what God has done. Our hearts get full and we want to worship. And now listen, remember this. God doesn't invite us into some religious duty where we do it because we're supposed to or have to. No, God doesn't want us to just know the right thing and do the right thing. God wants a relationship with us. He wants to be engaged with us in our hearts at a heart level. And that's why Christmas is such a beautiful time to remember, especially because we forget. I forget and I need to remember the beautiful gift that Jesus is. And so when we read about what it looks like to worship fully, I'm reminded of a a verse in Mark chapter 12. Jesus was asked a question about uh, about, um, what the greatest commandment is, and he responds with this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And I think about worshiping in those categories, our, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, loving God with like all of us. See, that's what worship is really about. See, because, listen, worship is more than singing songs, okay? Hear me. It is more than just singing songs when we come together. Worship is way more than that. But the reason that we do sing songs to God when we come together every week is it's another way to express our love for God. And we want to worship God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And that's why we bother singing songs every week. It's not to entertain anyone. These are songs that we sing to God, right? This band is not, you know, the performers and out here we're the audience. No, 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 no. The band leads us. They're like the choir directors and this whole room is the choir and we are worshiping God. God is the audience of our time of worship. When we sing, we're singing to God. He is the audience. And so we want to worship him with our heart, soul, our mind, our strength. And that's why we sing these songs that are primarily about about God's love for us and our love for God because that is a time for us to express our heart and worship. 
Now, I want to take a moment here to say something that's kind of related about how it is that we worship when we gather as followers of Jesus here as a, as a, as a church. Um, how do we worship in it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Um, and I want to clarify, like, worshiping God includes worshiping him with our emotions, right? That's part of the heart, soul piece there. Uh, we worship God with our emotions, and I just want to say, in case you wonder, it's really, it's okay to express emotion in our relationship with God, right? And some of you know that already, you know that, and you do that. But I know that sometimes we get confused about this, and, and maybe there are some folks in the room, um, and maybe we tend to think, and, and maybe it's those of us who have grown up in kind of more traditional church backgrounds, um, some of those denominations, or maybe, so maybe we've come from a real, you know, kind of mellow place. Or maybe we've been on the other side and seen people, like, worshiping in ways that were just drawing attention to themselves. And we go, whoa, yeah, not, not, not where I'm going to go. And so kind of as a reaction to either one, we think, okay, we don't want emotion in our worship. Because um, some people think that when we get excited or when we express emotion in worship, somehow that that's less dignified. You know, expressing worship emotionally, that's not really very reverent. That's not a reverent way to worship. And so I just want to offer a thought. Can I offer a thought to free us up on this one, maybe? Yeah? Here's, here's a thought. Um, think about this. Jesus was a Hebrew. And the Hebrew people are known for expressing emotion. If we look at the book of Psalms, our book of worship in the Bible you see a lot of emotion. And emotion is a very important part of our faith. Yes, we worship God with our mind, but we also worship with our heart, with our soul, with our emotions. And so I want us to know that we need to feel free to express our emotion to God, to worship him with our heart, soul, our mind, our strength. You know, it's even really interesting. Um, we all probably here know how to express emotion, right? Even us... Uh, stoic Midwesterners like I'm from, um, or us, you know, mellow, cool California Southwest types here, right? We, we know how to express emotion, don't we? Like on an important, yes, on an important occasion, we know how to express emotion. How many of you um, know how to express emotion when your football team's playing, or you're, right? Yeah, we know how to do that. So we totally got that. Niners are going down. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of emotion, right? I mean, ASU, Arizona State, and Arizona played last night. There was a little bit of emotion. Did you see before the game where the Wildcats came out and tried to, like, tear up the logo of Sparky on the field with their cleats before the game? People were upset. I mean, it was, it was a little crazy, right? It was full of emotion. Um, honestly, as a Vikings fan, tomorrow the Vikings and Seahawks face off, and I'll admit, I'll be... Showing some emotion, I'm sure. Um, so, that's cool, right? Do it. Show emotion. Go for it. Uh, enjoy your teams. But while we're doing that, like uh, Nikki Gumbel points out in our Alpha materials, he asked this question, why not also express emotion in our relationship with God? Which is far more important. Amen. And he reminds us, not just in our emotions... But we need to be free to express worship with our, with our bodies, right? Like, like raising our hands in worship like this is a way for our bodies to express emotion or to express worship. 
Now, when somebody raises their hand in worship, raises their hands, what type of Christians do you imagine came up with this whole thing of lifting our hands in worship to God? Maybe, think maybe it was Pentecostals or Charismatics, right? That's what some people would guess. That's, well, that's where that must have come from more recently. But did you know that raising our hands in worship to God, it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing that was recently invented by Charismatics or Pentecostals or any other spirit-filled folks. It was not invented in recent history. This, hands raised in worship, is also how the Jews back in the time of what we call the Old Testament and New Testament, this is how they worshiped God. And in the New Testament, this is how early believers, early followers of Jesus would have worshiped God. Um, New Testament talks about lifting up holy hands in prayer. So this, if you think about this, this kind of worship with our hands raised, that's actually the traditional form of prayer and worship, right? Some of us come from traditional denominations where you don't do this, right? (laughs) But actually, if we look back in history uh, of our faith, um, it's actually the traditional form of worship. Pope Benedict wrote in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, about why we raise our hands. He says that we do it because we are, it's, it's, a, it's a way of opening ourselves, our whole selves, opening us to God. It's like it gives God more surface area, right, to work with. Okay, I'm wide open, okay? And, and worshiping openly, surrendered to God like this is really kind of the opposite of this, or this, which is saying, don't come anywhere near me, okay? Don't come anywhere near me, God. I'm fine. Um, to express worship like this, actually, interestingly, again, it's the traditional, it would be considered the traditional form of worship, which is kind of interesting. Let's say you went into a, a church and everybody had their hands raised, you know? Um, you'd be accurate if you came into a church where everybody's hands were raised and you said, oh, hey, look at this. I'm at a church that's practicing ancient forms of worship right here. All their hands are raised. And by the way, if you, like Nikki points out, if you show up at a church where they've all got their hands at their side, that's absolutely fine. It's fine. You might wonder like, oh, I just guess I've come to a more modern church that's experimenting with new ways of worship that we haven't seen before in history, right? Our hands by our sides. And I'm not pressuring any of us, right? There's no pressure for you to act a certain way in worship, but here's the deal. You are free to do it. You're free. You're invited to. You're invited to. God encourages us to do it. In fact, um, when you do it and express that openness, it's amazing how sometimes God will touch your heart. And it's part of worshiping God with all of us, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm not saying that we fake it, right? We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves in worship. Worship is about God drawing attention to him, not to me. But sometimes we want to worship passionately. And we want to worship one way um, or another. And some of us have a preference. We'd rather worship this way or this way. And listen, both are fine. Sometimes we want to be exuberant. Sometimes we want silence. Listen, they're both found in Scripture. And we want to honor God in all of our worship We want to honor him with our hearts, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength. 
And so that's kind of just even the practical worshiping together when we sing songs here. But I want to talk for a minute about how worship is not just that, though, right? Worship is not just singing songs. We do it every week as a body because we're creating space for us to encounter God. But worship is much more than that. Worship is a life that is pointed to God in all that we do. All that we do pointed to God. So 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, worship is not just something we do when we gather here for 20, 30 minutes a week. Um, Worship is living our whole life as an expression of wonder and gratitude to God. Like, Like when we approach worship that way, then everything we do becomes worship. Not just our singing, not just dancing. Everything can become worship. Romans 12, verse one says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what? Worship. Doesn't say anything about singing songs right there. We offer all of us in response to the love that God has for us, and we want all of our lives to be lived as acts of worship. And a lot of people don't know this because we think about worship real narrowly. People think, yeah, it's just singing songs. And listen, yeah, worship is that, but it is so much more. See, worship is something that you and I can do when we wake up, when we take a shower, when we eat breakfast, When we do good work, we are worshiping. When we laugh with our friends, we are worshiping. When we listen to a friend, we are worshiping. When we look at a sunset, we can be worshiping. When we extend kindness towards someone else, when we serve someone by loving them unconditionally, that is an act of worship towards God, and he delights in it. And it's not something that we have to crank up. It's not something we have to muster up. Because it's inside of you. God has wired you with an identity and a DNA, if you're a follower of Jesus, that longs to worship, that longs to love other people, to serve other people. It's already in you. You don't have to go crank it up and find it. It is already there, planted in you by God. And so in this season of Advent... I'm encouraging us to reframe the way that we think about uh, worship. Actually, I'm encouraging us to reframe the way we think about this season. Instead of it being about accumulating and being busy and making other people happy, how can we live lives of worship toward God? Because if I start with a heart that wants to worship God and connect with God, that's gonna impact how I give. If I'm worshiping God, if I'm living with this openness, a surrender to God, that gives him permission in my life and access to places in my heart where maybe it'd be really hard for me to serve that person, but God, if I'm open to you and you empower me and your strength does it through me, I'll say yes. I'll love that difficult person. I'll spend time and listen to that really hard to listen to person. God, God, I say yes to you. I live with an open posture, an open face of worship toward you, God. And we live that way. 
It helps us to love all. It helps us to give more. It will help us to spend less, less on ourselves, less on consumerism, because our focus is on worshiping this God who loves us so deeply. Worship team, will you come? Friends, our invitation, again, um, in a moment we'll head to the communion table, but our invitation as we begin this Advent series is to enter in and worship fully. And maybe there's other things that we're tempted to worship. Maybe there's other things that grab our attention and pull us away from fixing our eyes on Jesus. We all have stuff that we worship that's way outside of, you know, our walk with God. Let's be honest. The thing that we're spending time on or giving attention to and getting drawn toward and pulled into, that's just pulling our attention somewhere else. And God's not mad. (laughs) He's not mad. But he knows the best way for you and I to live is to stop trying to get our life from those other things, to step back and refocus on Jesus. That's life-giving. That's life-giving. That's our encouragement and our call to worship this God who came as a baby, gave himself to us. And so what I want to ask you to do is to um, stand with me as we prepare to go to the communion table. You'll stand. And um, what I want you each to do, I know this is going to be a stretch for some of us. Just maybe you'll have to do it way down here, okay? Just down here by your pockets. But just open up your hands to God. You can stretch them out. You can put them right in front of you. Just as an act of surrender, of receiving the love that he has for you in this season. Just just take a moment and do that. Like, Jesus, we receive your love. We, We receive your goodness. We receive your gift. We thank you for your gift. And as we prepare now to come to the communion table, God, I want us to take this opportunity to confess where maybe there's other things that have absorbed our attention, other things that have absorbed our worship, other things that we have dialed into that are not you. They've been a distraction and they actually don't bring life. But Jesus, we confess those things to you. And just take a moment, if you know what it is that you're turning to and trying to get your life from instead of Jesus, um, just take a moment and confess that to him. God, for the ways we misuse money, for the way we, ways we misuse sexuality, for the ways we misuse and turn to people-pleasing, for the ways that we misuse and try to get our life from other people, we confess those things. And thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us. as we come to the communion table, we're grateful that you cleansed us by the blood of Jesus. Not only did you come as a baby, you closed your time here on earth by giving yourself as a sacrifice for us. So this morning, as we end our service, we sing this song together and we are invited to the communion table. We are reminded that the reason you came was to give yourself to us, that on the night you were betrayed, you made it so clear, you took bread and broke it, 
and you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this to remember me. And this morning, we want to remember your sacrifice. And Jesus, you then took a cup, a cup of wine and held it up, said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take and drink and do this to remember me. And as we go to the table this morning, we remember your body broken, your blood that was shed, the gift of Jesus, so that we could be forgiven, cleansed, made new, washed clean by your love. In Jesus' name. we give you quick instructions if you've not had communion with us before. The band's gonna play a song. There are four stations in the corners. And um, we will invite you when you're ready to just come to one of those tables. Um, the bread, you'll just take a piece of that and you will dip it into the cup. And um, you can take that communion right there or you can take it back at your seat. And sometimes people wonder, if I'm not a member of this church, am I allowed to take communion? And yes, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, you are welcome at the communion table. And if maybe you've been on a journey toward deciding to follow Jesus, um, often people here uh, come to visit and decide, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the place they decide that is by coming to the communion table. So you are welcome to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, sing with us, receive communion, then grab your seats for a minute and we'll dismiss together.